Good evening, everybody. My name, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the Chapel Sydney. Um, if we haven't met, welcome. Hello to all our 2 million subscribers on the YouTube. That's right. Uh, thank you for inviting us into your home today. Now, um, <laughs> now, just going off what Pastor Steve was talking about two weeks ago about honouring your leaders and honouring your, your, your church. You know, I've heard so many great stories about what's been going on and people's generosity. And, you know, I just wanted to continue that today just by honouring our senior pastors, Mel and Steve. Um, you know, they do so much behind the scenes. You know, they've invested into our church and, you know, your lives. You know, they open up their homes to, to cook for you and feed you. And that's not normal. You know, that's really not normal. And so if you get a chance, just shoot them a message or, you know, buy them something or buy them a meal or, you know, look after the kids. Uh, they would appreciate that. So thank you for all that you do, guys. We love you guys. Yeah. So in the 1990s, 2000s, uh, video rental industries such as Blockbuster, uh, Civic Video, Video Easy, they reign the industry. Um, if we've got that image, let's pop it up. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so if your family wanted to watch a movie, someone had to physically drive to one of these stores, walk through the rows and the aisles of DVDs and videos and VHS. Does anyone know what a VHS is? You, yeah, nice. Um, and hand over uh, like a physical membership card to the person over the counter. You know, when Reed Hastings, founder of a small startup called Netflix, when he met with CEO, Block, uh, CEO uh, Blockbuster in 2000 to propose a partnership, he was laughed at. He was kicked out of the office. You know, Blockbuster were making $4.5 billion a year. Not million, but billion. Now, despite all the changes happening in the digital world and people's preferences changing, Blockbuster actually doubled down on their store-first model. And they offered popcorn, uh, books, and toys. While Netflix, they experimented with a subscription model and no late fees. You know, 10 years later, Netflix became the, the largest source of internet streaming traffic in the US with over 20 million subscribers. And Blockbuster declared bankruptcy. You know, Blockbuster missed the obvious. They missed what was right in front of him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've had my fair share of missing right in front of me moments. You know, the best one has been uh, when you can't find your phone. It's not in your pocket, not in your bag, not on your desk, but it's right in your hand. Yes, right in your hand. Now, the one that stung me the most, though, was about six years ago when I was working at Apple and a colleague came up to me and said, James, there's this new thing that you have to get on, right, like right now. It's going to be the next big thing. And he said, I've just bought about 100 of these, and they're only going for about $150 each. Easy. I think you should buy in now. But uh, being the risk-adverse person I am, I, I politely declined. Now... If I hadn't missed that opportunity, and if I just followed his directions, I would be about $5 million richer, thanks to Bitcoin. Now, similarly, a lot of um, people miss the beauty and intricacies of art as well. You know, paintings have so much depth. They have so much meaning. You know, behind the colors, the strokes, the mid-ground, the foreground. 
It all interacts together. Can we shoot up that? Yeah. Does anyone know what that is? Yeah, good. <laughs> Painting. Awesome. Now, the, the artist intentionally plans all these elements to purposefully design a piece of work. Now, if we fail to engage our depth perception, we'll miss the entire point of the painting itself. You know, just like a beautiful painting, you know, this passage that we're about to delve into, you know, there's purpose behind the way that God has set all this up. There's intentionality, but it's easy to miss the point. And so for some of us, you know, Palm Sunday, we've, we've heard this story for years and years. And for some of us, it's a brand new story. Wherever you sit on that scale, you know, I believe that God is wanting us to have a depth perception of who Jesus is tonight. And let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 21, 1 to 22. Now, Matthew 21 is the accumulation of everything that's been going on. It's the climax of everything that's been going on in the book of Matthew. You know, it's quite amazing to think that, uh, that God would give us a glimpse of who Jesus is as king just through these passages. You know, it's Jesus' very first and very last visit to Jerusalem. And what we'll see in a moment is these three stories, these three symbolic actions, they're all saying similar things about who Jesus is. Now, in the next eight days in Matthew 21, Jesus enters the city, he confronts religious leaders, he gets arrested, tried, crucified, and is raised from the dead. You know, this is the very week that all creation from Genesis 3 has been waiting for. You know, this isn't just the zenith of Jesus' life. This is the climax of all of history. And it has everything to do with your life and my life. You know, Matthew 21 is the beginning of the end. It's God giving us a glimpse of what it means to see Jesus as the true king. You know, at the beginning of the Gospels, we're told that Jesus gives warnings to those that he'll not to tell anyone because his time had not yet come. But what we see in Matthew 21 is that it's time. And my prayer for us today is that some of you for the first time would submit your life to, to the king. That some of you for the first time would surrender and confess that Jesus is king. And for those of you that already have, my prayer is that you would have a deeper affection for Jesus as king. So Matthew 21, let's read. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now Jesus entered the temple courts. And drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, 
It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to, to him at the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never heard from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out to the city of Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So it all starts here in Matthew 21, verse 1. Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. It marks the beginning of what people call Holy Week. So it's, it's a week to reflect the final days of, of Jesus' life on earth here. And as we read these passages, we have to keep in mind the timing of everything. You know, Jesus and his disciples, they're right in the middle of Passover week. You know, this is where the population of Jerusalem would swell to like six times more people than normal. You know, large crowds of people would, would come to Jerusalem and make sacrifices. They would celebrate the day when God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt for, through the blood of the sacrificial lamb. You know, and on this same day, we see Jesus coming into the temple, into this city, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. You know, this King is coming. The King is bringing salvation. The first attribute that we actually see is that Jesus is the prophesied King. Verse 5 says, Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, does anyone see that little letter or that little number at the end of that verse? Now, if you go to the bottom of the page or if you're looking at an app, uh, there should be like a little letter there. If you tap on it, you're going to see a different passage or an explanation of what it is. Now, can anyone see what that, that's pointing to in, at the end of verse 5? Yes? Yes. Awesome. So that's actually pointing to Zechariah 9.9, which is only two books before Matthew. So Zechariah was, was a prophet about 500 years before Jesus. You know, the people of Judah, God's people, you know, they were in exile in Babylon. They were displaced and they were refugees in a foreign land. And they were finally allowed to return back to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, their hometown. And Zechariah with the prophet Haggai, you know, they urged the people to rebuild the temple of God where God lives. You know, the book is about the hope that God remembers his promises to his people. And Zechariah provides specific prophecies about the immediate and distant future. And within that, we see Zechariah prophesying about Christ riding on a donkey. Chapter 9, verse 9 of, of Zechariah, it's exactly the same. You know, there are 351 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, and all of them have been fulfilled in the New Testament, including this one of Jesus riding on a donkey. You know, Jesus is the peaceful king. You know, it wasn't uncommon for a king to ride on a donkey. The important thing to know was when the king rode on a donkey. 
You know, in the culture of that day, if a king was going to war, they would ride on a horse, a picture of power. But if it was peacetime and the king wasn't going to war, then they would ride on a donkey, a picture of peace. Now, what we see in Matthew 21 is Jesus riding on a donkey. It's an image of Jesus coming in peace. Jesus was not coming into Jerusalem for war. He was not coming to overthrow Israel's oppressors. You know, many thought that the Messiah would come to overthrow Rome, but that's not why Jesus came. That's not how Jesus is coming. He's coming to make peace between us and God, to reconcile our relationship between us and God. If we read Luke's account of this same story, you know, we see the people shout, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Zechariah 9.10, I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim, which is all of Israel, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the global king. His rule will extend from sea to sea. You know, there is nothing that is subject, that is not subject to King Jesus. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every prime minister, every president, all kings, all queens, there is no one that who Jesus does not have sovereign reign over. There is no one and nothing that can oppose him and win. His rule, which extends from sea to sea, is absolute. You know, all this was prophesied in Zechariah in chapter 9. And 500 years later, we see this come to to fulfillment in Matthew 21. Now, if we turn back to Matthew 21, uh, verse 12, we read, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Jesus is the holy king. You know, like how Zechariah prophesied about, about Jesus coming on a donkey, we also see the prophet Malachi prophesy about the Lord's coming, specifically about how the temple would be purified. Now listen to how the Jewish people, according to, to this prophecy, expected the Messiah to come and purify the temple. Malachi 3, 1-4 says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So this is Malachi prophesying that the Lord will come and cleanse the temple, that the Lord will come and restore, purify, refine the worship of the people of Jerusalem. But again, Jesus does come, but not in a way that they expect so Jesus walks into the temple courts. Now, specifically the, the outer court. He walks into the outer courts. You know, the way the temples were set up was there was an inner court for the high priests, and there were many outer courts, but one large outer court called the Court of Gentiles. This is where different nations, people groups would come together and bring their worship to God. You know, so Jesus walks into the outer court and is bustling with people everywhere but not people praying and worshipping. 
but people buying and selling, people trading money, people profiting off one another, taking advantage of one another. So Jesus, in righteous anger, he, he starts overturning tables. You know, it's not the picture that we often associate Jesus with. But what we see is that Jesus has no tolerance for hollow worship and hypocritical religion. He doesn't deal lightly with sin. Jesus turns to them and says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And that's a quote from Isaiah 56 where God uh, promises that his temple will be a dwelling place for his glory and a place of prayer for all nations to come. But the people are taken out of court and they've just filled it with stuff. They neglected the nations. You have made it a den of robbers. That's a direct quote from Jeremiah 7, where God spoke directly to the people about their worship life and how they were missing the whole point. Jeremiah 7 says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name and say, We are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. The people were offering worship but not walking with God. Now, is that even possible? Is it possible to sing songs with your mouth when there's no surrender in your heart? Is it possible to offer worship to God without walking with Him? You know, absolutely, it's possible. Absolutely. There's a tendency in every one of our hearts to, to fake worship and to go through the motions. To ignore what's really going on in our hearts. You know, in Jesus, in his holiness, he, he looks at them and he says that you've made this a cave for criminals and he casts them out. Jesus is the holy king who deals with sin, with holy anger. The next attribute we see of Jesus as king is that he's the authoritative king. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. You know, Jesus not only has righteous anger, he has righteous love. And not everyone is being cast out of this temple. We see Jesus welcoming the blind, the lame, the hurt. You know, these people were the outcast, they were the lonely. So Jesus comes up to them and we read that he had compassion on them. And he heals them. And in the process, he shows that he has authority over all disease. You know, Jesus has authority over all sickness, over all pain, all cancers, all tumors. You know, which is why when we get to Revelation, we see heaven depicted like a temple. The picture is when through King Jesus, we dwell with God forever, there will be no more sickness. No more sorrow, no more tears. Because the king who has authority over all these diseases will be finally and fully in charge. Jesus has authority over all creation. Verses 18 to 21. You know, Jesus sees a fig tree. He sees that it doesn't have any fruit and he curses it. Now, how does that even fit in with these last 18 verses? They seem a bit random. You know, this isn't just Jesus having righteous anger and cursing the tree because it can't provide him what he wants. This reminds me of a story when our family years ago went to, uh, went to Macca's, and um, Ellen and Albert can testify to this as well, because I'm not lying about this. Uh, <laughs> but 
But we went to Macca's and we bought so much that they, they had to close the store because they just literally ran out of Big Macs. Now, um, I feel so sorry for the people behind us who just, just missed out. But it reminds me of that story. You know, Jesus isn't just cursing the tree because the tree ran out of fruit. There's something deeper going on than that. We need to picture this story right after the story that just happened. So fig trees. Now fig trees, the way fig trees work is that when it has leaves on it, generally it's a sign that it has fruit. So, it's, so, so this fig tree has leaves. It's promising fruit. But when Jesus goes up to it, there's, there's nothing. So he curses it. Now think about the story that we just read about Jesus going to the temple going into the temple that claimed to have worship of God, that claimed to have devotion of God, that claimed to be walking with him. But at the core, they were completely dead. They were completely barren. So Jesus cleanses the temple, curses the fig tree as a picture of the fact that he has no tolerance for hollow worship and hypocritical worship. Finally, Jesus is the coming king. You know, he came humbly, He came first humbly riding on a donkey, bringing peace through the death and resurrection of his body. He rode into Jerusalem with one purpose, to rescue sinners. He came into Jerusalem to be crucified as king. He came not to reign but to die. He came not to deliver Israel from the power of Rome as many thought that he would do. But he came to deliver all people from the power of sin. That's why he came into Jerusalem the first time. And church, the the truth is that this king is coming back. Remember when I mentioned that a king would traditionally come on a donkey when it was not time for war? And how that was a picture of peace. But in a time of war, the king would come riding on a horse, a picture of power. Let's turn to Revelation 19, 11 to 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on on him, and no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen and white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This king came the first time humbly riding on a donkey, but he'll come the second time sovereignly reigning on a horse, on that day it would be very different. It's going to be very different to Matthew 21. On that day he's not coming to rescue sinners. He's already done that and the time for salvation is right now. For then it will be too late. He'll not come to rescue sinners but to rule them. He'll not come gently on that day, but he'll come powerfully. He'll not come to be crucified as king. He'll come to be crowned as king. So what does this all mean for us today? You know, his his arrival into Jerusalem, it demands a response from us. 
As we begin this week into Passion Week, you know, where Jesus will be betrayed. And I believe there are two things that God really wants us to wrestle with. The first is let us not give hollow worship. Let's bear real fruit in our lives. Let's not be like the fig tree that has leaves but no fruit, having all the signs of outward appearance, like going to Bible studies, going to church, going to life group, but having no real fruit. You know, just as we saw in these two stories of the temple and the fig tree, Jesus despised, he absolutely hates false worship, false religion. All throughout Scripture, Jesus curses hollow worship. Let's remember that this king deserves more than hollow worship and lip service. The second is this. Let us surrender to the king. Now, has anyone seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Does anyone know Eric Liddell? Okay, one, KJ, awesome. Okay. <laughs> so, so the movie Chariots of Fire is about Eric Liddell. Um, he's a man who ran for Scotland, then went on to become a missionary. Now, the reason why Eric Liddell is so famous is that he refused to run on the Sabbath. He actually gave up running on a lot of the races that he probably would have won in the 1924 Olympics. But his story isn't just about gifts and talents of running. But it's about the life that he surrendered to the king. He chose to surrender his life and lived as a missionary in China. He eventually was put into a prison camp where he helped the elderly. He taught Bible classes. But in 1945, he passed away. And according to a fellow missionary, his last words were, it's complete surrender in reference to how he, how he had given his life to the king. Now, God's not calling all of us to go out on missions to China, but he is calling us to surrender our lives to him. So let's give our whole lives to this king who came humbly on a donkey in humility. The question for you today is, have you confessed Jesus as king? Have you surrendered your life to him? You know, not just to know about God, but to make him king and Lord over every area of your life. You know, the truth is, if you wait to confess him as king on that day when he comes again, which you will confess him as king on that day, it's going to be too late. And you'll experience at the second coming the eternal wrath drew your sin that he came to save you from at his first coming. So surrender to this king. Confess that he is king. This king is coming back. This king is a good king. This king is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is the good shepherd. He is the true vine. He is the lamb of God. You know, this God loved you so much that he sent his one and only Son, Jesus, the King of kings, born of a virgin, without sin, perfect in every way. You know, Jesus lived the perfect life, and he died the most brutal death, and he did it for you and for me. Jesus became sin on the cross. He died in our place. And on the third day after his death, God raised him from the dead. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. And because of who he is, Because of what he's done, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be forgiven of their sins and made completely new. And he doesn't want our hollow worship. 
He doesn't want to be a hobby in our life. He wants to be our whole life, our whole life. He wants your heart. Let's close our eyes in prayer.